You're listening to City's Playground, a podcast by Leadership Foundations. I'm your host, Rick Enlow, and I'm here with Leadership Foundation President Dave Hillis. And today we're going to talk about this upcoming series of podcasts. And uh, we're going to jump on an idea that uh, has emerged from some recent meetings. That's exactly right, Rick. We uh, here at the uh, board meeting in uh, Portland here just about a month ago, we're having a conversation. And again, as boards do, we were deliberating on a whole host of things of how to strengthen the network moving forward, how to better communicate. And it was really uh, uh, our board chair who talked about how do we mine the heroic stories of local leadership foundation presidents and those connected with LF around the world. And uh, I think it was Bill Milliken who said, yeah, we want to hear about the leaders in leadership foundations. Hmm. And so we kicked that idea around and of course are going to begin to think about how to communicate that. But one of the places we wanted to do it, of course, is on this podcast. So I think the hope, <clears throat> Rick, over here, the next series is to uh, have a chance to interview a whole host of different people that are connected to the LF uh, network that really are heroes. I mean, are, are yeah. doing things that are breathtaking, both by way of the intensity and focus, as well as the scale. So that's, yeah. that's the hope. That's great. Well, and we have uh, focused on a lot of guests on our podcast, but a lot of times uh, historic guests versus yep. you know the contemporary. And so now we're we're heading in not only into the present but into the future. Now, one of the things that's um, that's awesome about the LF Global Office is I've had a chance to uh, participate a, a couple of times. You know, at the beginning of a year, you know, and kind of setting. Um, you know, the agenda for the year and, and kind of identifying, you know, uh, where everyone's going to be headed. And, and uh, you've, you've had a kind of a history of having a theme for every year. So tell me, uh, you know, kind of where that came from and what some of those themes were. Yeah. Well, part of the, uh, the gift and the privilege of leading a global office is that you are global and uh, that's wonderful. The, the downside of that is that you're distributed all over the world. And so how do you uh, make sure that you are coalescing around the right things, moving in the same direction? Mm -hmm. And it occurred to me uh, a number of years ago that one of the great gifts of grace that God gave the Israelites as they headed out on their 40-year journey was that they had this pillar of cloud during the day that they followed and this uh, pillar of fire at night. Mm -hmm. And I just began to ruminate a little bit on that, Rick, going, I wonder if there is the equivalent of that for an organization. Uh, you know, what might be our pillar of cloud or, you know, fire of light uh, that can continue to lead us? And so what has happened, at least for leadership foundations, is every year uh, we create uh, an organizational theme. Uh, again, we do the annual planning, we have the documents and all that, but what is that pithy, you know, kind of phrase that sort of captures exactly what we think the Holy Spirit is doing in us as mm -hmm. an organization. Similarly, uh, we try to pick a theme around uh, what are we going to kind of work on this year in our leadership capacity. And so every year for the last uh, actually 11 years now, uh, the staff comes together and we collectively try to discern what is that organizational theme, you know, that pillar of uh, cloud that we're going to follow, and then what is that uh, leadership devotional theme we're going to pay attention to, which is kind of our pillar of fire. And what are some of those that, that you can kind of, uh, you don't have to go through all 11, Dave, but you can give me <laughs> give me a sense. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, again, it's it's really been, I think, a, a delightful thing. I've actually, uh, you know, lectured on this a little bit to other organizations, and 
what a helpful uh, organizational tool it's been. But you know, as an example, I think Rick, when I took over from Reed, um, the the organizational theme that year was defining purpose. Mm -hmm. um, again, we did a whole lot of things, but but fundamentally, it was that pivot point. I mean, who are we? Uh, you know, how are we getting it done? Uh, you know, what does it mean to call ourselves leadership foundations? You know, a couple years later, uh, we uh, talked about strengthening our culture. Um, this last year what we uh, were talking about was seeing opportunity. In other words, we felt like we had built an organization to a place uh, where we now could begin to actually uh, you know, take advantage of some of the opportunities that were coming our way. Mm -hmm. On the leadership side, uh, we've done everything from mimetic leadership, which is actually something, Rick, that you and I talked about. Mm -hmm. oh, that's a lot better. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we've talked about servant leadership. We obviously did a series on Eucharistic leadership. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, it's just been uh, something that uh, I really look forward to each year. Um, we always do that when we're at the monastery that you've been a part of, mm -hmm. uh, where we'll come up with that, and then everyone kind of puts their hands in and says, okay, that's what, uh, that's what we'll do. Yeah, in fact, we just got an email from somebody who actually agreed with the Eucharistic leadership model and <laughs> said and, we were on to something. Yes, he said we were on to something. That was, that was kind of cool. And uh, again, if you do want to send us an email, very exciting stuff for us to get one. It's, uh, you know, it's info at leadership or uh, foundation.org. And yep. so, yeah, that was great. Well, um, um, you know, when, when you talk about uh, the history of developing these themes, um, you've obviously, you know, stood on the shoulders of some uh, some others who, you know, kind of inform yeah, these themes. Yeah. So, so, who are some of those? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's the it's the Bill Millikans, the you know, the Ray Bakkies, the Gene Millikans, the Reed Carpenters. Um, I mean, I think that's been part of what I've been trying to always be conscious of is um, is these shoulders that we're standing on, and then how do we, you know, continue to uh, give others a platform? by which to kind of tell their story. I mean, you know, I think, you know, Rick, at the end of the day, uh, you know, LF, for example, right now in our 41 leadership foundations throughout the world, um, if you can imagine, uh, we are uh, overseeing 209 different initiatives or programs that hmm. range from, I mean, housing to healthcare to mentoring to, you know, leadership. But we always, you know, want to pull back from that activity and say, you know, our genius is that we drive this wheel of change. And at the very core of this wheel of change, you know, engaging leaders of good faith, goodwill, building the capacity of others and developing joint initiative is leadership. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what's going to make a city more like a playground than a battleground. And so that's what we're keeping our eye on. It's for example, I'll be uh, going to Orlando here in a couple of weeks. There's a group there that's wanting to talk about being the leadership foundation in that city. And we'll talk about a whole host of things, but what I'll really be keeping my eye on is, you know, what does that leadership look like? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, so during this next series, then we're gonna be talking to uh, leaders within the LF network and those doing, you know, that kind of work in, in the cities. And it's gonna be so exciting because um, part of the, uh, I guess the the reach of leadership foundations is not only in you know domestically in cities all over uh, you know this country but around the world and and, that's it, right. and I think that's what's going to be that's right. so interesting to hear as we learn from one another um, and and uh, let's take a look about uh, the definition of leadership that LF uses yeah so to frame yeah. That, yeah 
Yeah, again, a little bit of uh, context there. You know, we throw that word out, um, and like many words, uh, it begins to kind of lose a little bit of its, you know, kind of capacity and flux. And so one of the things that Leadership Foundations has tried to do is to come back and say, is there a definition that really captures uh, for Leadership Foundations what we actually believe and understand leadership to be? Mm -hmm. I mean, again, there's a whole host of definitions out there. Uh, this is not to diminish others, but it's Bob Terry who uh, was actually introduced uh, to me by Jack Fortin, our former board chair, who is still currently on the LF board. And Bob Terry's definition of leadership, uh, I think, Rick, captured perfectly at least uh, the leadership space that LF uh, is working out of. And uh, Terry's uh, definition uh, is it's the courage to call forth authentic action uh, in the commons. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think just to say a bit uh, about a, a couple of those words, um, you know, one is that, uh, you know, we absolutely believe that leadership is, uh, is a courageous act. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, we just have to look around a little bit and realize what short supply at times, you know, we uh, are of, of that courage. I also think um, it's, it's important to note uh, that it is a trait, you know, a, uh, a quality that can be cultivated. Uh, in other words, I don't think you're either born courageous or not. It, it's something that you learn how to be courageous. Right, um, right. And certainly, you know, when we think about some of the intractable problems that leadership foundations are putting their hand to, you know, whether it's the, you know, uh, craziness of some of the things that are taking place on the streets with opioids, uh, whether it's, you know, taking on an institution that uh, is, is acting in bad form and, you know, marginalizing, further marginalizing the poor. Um, th there's a real sense in which you, you need courage to be able to step into that and think that you have something to say. Right. The, you know, the idea of call forth <clears throat> is also important for leadership foundations, uh, Rick, you and I have talked a lot about this, but this notion that for leadership foundations, um, the Holy Spirit uh, is already inhabiting uh, cities and people around the world. Right. You don't show up to a city uh, bringing you know, her with you. Uh, you actually go to a city to encounter what she's already doing. Mm -hmm. So that idea then of leadership is calling forth that which is already there. Um, right. You don't have to create it. Uh, you don't have to somehow you know create some kind of super program um it's it's sitting there and now it's the ability to see it to hear it and to i think winsomely um sort of call forth what that might look like mm -hmm. um and that it's that it represents authentic action um leadership is ultimately an act it's something that we do uh, the key of course um is is does it uh, arise, you know, from a place of authenticity, you know, uh, in you as a leader, in me as a leader. Um, and I, I think that process uh, is, is important. And then finally, it's always for the commons, um, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, I think oftentimes what happens today is that leadership is raised up for a particular part, you know, of the city. Um, so, she's the leader of the business community and you know she's the leader of the faith community well how do you actually develop leadership you know call forth leadership on behalf of the whole and so that's what leadership foundations is always after so 
Bob Teary's uh, definition of you know the courage you know to call forth authentic action in the commons uh, has been wonderful. And again, not that it's going to be any great surprise to anybody that's listening, but I think uh, it's it's a perfect definition of the leadership that we see evidenced and demonstrated in the person of Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I um, I, I had a quote that uh, was furnished me about. It was uh, Pope Benedict, the uh, a former pope, uh, said the true apology of Christian faith, the most convincing demonstration of its truth, are the saints and the beauty that the faith has generated. Yeah. And uh, that, I mean, we have the fortunate opportunity to sort of live that out with this podcast. I think, yeah. I think that's right. And, you know, what's, of course, interesting about that quote from Benedict is probably of all the popes, uh, if there was anybody that was most, you know, theologically attuned, uh, most creedal in his orientation, uh, it, it, was, it was Benedict. And so uh, you anticipate that he would have given an answer, something on par with, you know, the uh, uh, deposit of faith or the, uh, the elegance of the apostles and the Nicene Creed. So the fact that he would make this statement, you know, that at the end of the day, yeah, it really comes down to the saints or the, the people who are living the life. And, of course, the, uh, you know, the beauty that mm-hmm. the church has harbored, I think, is, is wonderful. And, I, you know, I think we're going to be talking to people while they probably won't classically be defined as saints, at least in the Catholic sense, well, particularly know, some of the I characters know. I know. Uh, yeah, well, I, I know there's some folks uh, in Lexington that have uh, at least the three miracles. <laughs> that's right, know, so. that's right, yeah. <laughs> so, but that, that is the spirit. I mean, it's, it's to go back to Benedict's idea that let's, let's talk about that which really authenticates uh, the faith and its people and beauty. Yeah, and when we have these conversations, um, we're going to, uh, as we put it, uh, be interfacing and, and uh, dialoguing with uh, these heroic men and women of uh, leadership foundations. And uh, they're going to be in, diff- obviously, different contexts in you know different locations. And, yep. and like you said, have, have a particular um, uh, ability to, to, you know, to, to be involved in authentic action in their space. Uh, but That's we're going right. to use kind of a similar... Um, approach like a little a, a bit of a, a framework to, to discuss things and tell us where we kind of got that yeah well even to maybe make one comment prior to that um, you know when I when I've been thinking about these heroic stories and just the uh, the privilege you and I are going to have uh, my mind did run to to Hebrews 11 uh, you know it's it's where whoever the writer is and there's you know some debate about who it might be but suffice it to say, they, they get to the 11th chapter after having laid out a, a pretty thick uh, theology, and uh, they begin to talk about people. And it says that of these people, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for them, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Hmm. Um, and there's another line in that chapter where I think the writer says, uh, the world was not worthy of yeah, them. Yeah. And I, so I think as we approach this, you know, and we begin to hear these stories, I think I'm very mindful that uh, these are women and men who uh, their heroic faith, uh, the world is almost at some level, you know, not worthy of, of who they are. Yeah. With regard to the framework, Rick, yeah, we were trying to kick around a little bit um, of what or how best to use a framework that both allows for a common 
you know, set of language, uh, a way of approaching this, uh, and at the same time uh, gives uh, liberty, gives some freedom for the particular stories to come out. Mm -hmm. um, a guy by the name of Marshall Gantz, who is out of Harvard, um, he has uh, been the uh, Rita T. Hauser Senior Lecturer in Leadership Organizing and Civil Society. And he's done a lot of work um, around how do, you, how do you hear stories uh, from, from others mm -hmm. uh, in, in such a way that it uh, has some meaning, it has some impact, it has a little bit of traction. And so the first thing he says is that there's always the story of self. You know, that... Uh, story that you carry, uh, mm -hmm. the story that I carry, the story that, you know, the particular people we will be interviewing carry. And he says it's a personal story about why you were called to what you have been called to. Everyone has a story about an experience that got him or her involved in a given cause. The story of self presents a specific challenge the teller faced, the choice they made about how to deal with the challenge, and the outcome they experienced. Um, and Gantz goes on to say that the story invites listeners to connect with, with the teller. Mm -hmm. So I think part of what you, know, you and I will be trying to do is, as we you know, interview different people is, is give us that story of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I love that line in uh, the uh, uh, Narnia Tales. And uh, at one point in the horse and his boy, um, the, the character is, is kind of being a little bit morose and depressed and is kind of complaining about the fact that he's got to do a particular task and what about so-and-so and Aslan who of course is the great lion mm -hmm. uh, he says I only tell you your story not their story hmm. and that I think even has some biblical resonance remember yeah. with uh, with Peter right yeah there right. And, and John and it's the notion of like well what about him <laughs> it's like you know that's his story yeah right? we're talking yeah. about your story so I think that's a little bit of what we were after. Um, you know, I just read uh, something that was kind of funny because uh, they've had uh, recent um, IPOs of these companies that have gone public, you know, and then their stock become public. And so they mm -hmm. got And one of the things they said is uh, vital for um, a company to sort of flourish as they become public versus private is to have an origin story. And so they found oh, out wow. that there are a few... Um, of these companies that actually invented one because they thought it sounded cooler. <laughs> like they said, yeah, you know, well, we started in the basement and just a couple guys, and you know, because that kind of seems like the startup right. story. And right. they found out it wasn't true. So one of the outcomes from what I read was the fact that you, you know, your story is, is your true story is good enough. You know, that sometimes we think we have to fabricate something that's a little more fantastic. Totally. But, you know, if there's something, even getting back to uh, Bob Terry's definition is that authentic, that, that word authentic, you know. That's exactly and right. And I think that's what's so great is that sometimes, um, you know, we're, we're not in competition for who has the coolest origin story, but it's, yeah. but nobody has your story. No, I that's mean, exactly you know, right. So that's great. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting, too, for me. <clears throat> um, people have asked, you know, now that I've been around 11 years, it's like, well, you know, what, what was it like taking place with Reed? And, and I talk about my my story it's like well i mean it was originally like oh my god there must be a purgatory <laughs> who would want to follow reed carpenter and so i began to go through a discernment process and and my uh, uh spiritual director was a part of it and the whole bit and at one point he and i were meeting and he said so how uh, where are we at with this decision i said oh, i said interesting that you'd ask i said i've decided i'm not going to do it and he uh 
who he's a Jesuit, uh, you know, is used to these kinds of discernment questions, and he uh, looks at me for a while and he says, uh, "You're not really saying no." And I said, "No, I, yeah, I'll repeat it one more time for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do it." And he very cleverly uh, said, "What you're saying no to um, is what you anticipate is going to be, uh, you know." The heaviness of the job, but the job itself still feels like it's very much alive in me. And then he went and said to me, Rick, he said, "I want you to write your obituary <laughs> in light of this decision." And the minute he asked me that question, I immediately had a sense uh, that I was supposed to do it because how sad would my story be? But some point, you know, uh, at my deathbed, it's like, you know, I had that opportunity, and I just decided that it, you know, it really probably wasn't worth it. Yeah. Um, well, that's, a, that's a, a story that you know, I have to tell people. It's completely unheroic at one level. I mean, I, I was ready to bolt out the back door. But that is the way that God brought me into this. And that's, yeah. that's a bit of uh, this story of self for me. Yeah. And then once we, uh, all of us obviously have a story, but then once we get together, it's kind of the second uh, uh, lens that, that, uh, that we look at through Gantz's approach. Yeah. So he calls that very simply the story of us. You know, that somehow your story of self has to migrate over to uh, the story of us. And there he says it's the collective story uh, with shared purposes and goals and vision of a community or an organization. As with the story of self, the story of us focuses on a challenge, a choice, and an outcome. The story of us invites other people to be a part of the community. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, I, I think that while this might seem quite obvious at one level, the truth be told, there's a lot of stories of self uh, that never do migrate over into mm -hmm. a story of us. Yeah. Right. So it's the Lone Ranger, uh, it's the heroic kind of you know sort of Nietzsche, you yeah, know, uh, Uber, you know, person. That Almost the story of them. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, it's like yeah, you know, me and them versus us. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I think you know, not to get too philosophical, but I, I think when you look at our current climate. Um, you know, I, I think there's a number of people that have the story of self uh, and they cultivate it, you know, 24-7. Uh, and it becomes then a war of this self against that self. And mm -hmm. it's those rare, I think, people, those rare leaders that know that maturity uh, is actually only when yourself, you know, becomes an us a we is yeah. when you're really doing the job. So. And I mean, I think Jesus put it in, you know, ancient terms, but he said, if, if, unless you lose yourself, you're not going to find, you're not going to find right. it. And I think he's, you know, he, in, in Gantz's, you know, view, uh, if you just sit on your, the story of yourself and it never, it never emerges, yeah. I mean, you never find it. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, that's where it's at. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I think for leadership foundations, that's been actually probably one of the most satisfying things, uh, in my tenure so far is you have these you know these individual presidents you know taking on the delis of this world and the dallases of this world and that's wonderful and we want to you know salute that and yeah. empower that but when all of a sudden that local leadership foundation in delhi realizes that what is going on in dallas dallas uh actually makes delhi stronger mm -hmm. um that's that's lovely, yeah. right? That that we actually are better together than we are apart. Yeah, I mean, one of the very concrete ways that that 
um, kind of manifest itself is, is every year now for probably the last five years, uh, the Leaders Foundations uh, makes application to the Department of Justice uh, and the Juvenile Justice Department for a mentoring grant. Mm -hmm. And you know, we usually, once the RFP uh, is released, uh, which is a request for proposal, we usually have somewhere about uh, a month to turn it around and uh, get it submitted. Well, on top of that, of course, uh, we are this year, for example, representing 30 local leadership foundations. Yeah. Uh, and so how do you take 30 local leadership foundations and write up a proposal um, where, again, cities are living and breathing organisms, and so we have to do this in this kind of collective fashion. It's a huge lift, but it's a great example of how these individual cities have said, you know, there is actually something together that we can do that we couldn't do individually, and it's a, it's a good example of this, you know, kind of story of us. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of, this This would be my title. It's It's going to get stolen, Dave, as soon as we broadcast I might, this. But, I know. might steal but it right now. <laughs> but it's kind of ego to we go. You know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> the ego gets gets uh, enveloped into something bigger than just, than, like than just Rick, us. Rick, yeah. You need to write that like, immediately. <laughs> well, then, uh, you know, as Gantz moves on, he talks about first, you know, obviously we all have a story. Then hopefully we realize what a what power there is in collaborating and, be, and making the story about, you know, us, a community story, mm -hmm. a, a story that is shared vision. And, and then his final phase is the story becomes contemporary or like it's, you know, again, you know, leans into the action zone, but uh, yep. the story of now, huh? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, again, what he talks about is that the challenge the community now faces, uh, choices it must make and the hope to which, you know, we can aspire to. Um, you know, he also says that the story of now is urgent. Uh, it is rooted in the values you celebrated in, in your story of self and us, and a contradiction to those values that requires action. Mm -hmm. uh, the story now invites people to join you in taking hopeful action on the pressing challenge. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately, um, you need to be moved to action, this authentic, you know, action uh, in the commons. And so, Again, for leadership foundations, it's going, you know, in this city uh, right now, what is going on here that is preventing, you know, the city from becoming more like a playground than a battleground, um, you know, and, and what can we do about it? Yeah. Um, and again, not the stuff that's going to necessarily be on the front of the page or is going to be the, the grist for an interview afterwards. But, but what are those things that uh, that we really need to begin to pay attention to and do something about and yeah. actually get something done? Well, and if you were describing an organization like LF, if I didn't know what that was, and you said we're in 41 cities, um, that's our, right there. That's the story of us, right? That's right. But then uh, when you say over 200 initiatives, now that's the story of now. I mean, that's that, that's, that's, that's where... Uh, this I, the big idea has become, you know, uh, a real actual action. That's you know, exactly and right. So that's what's. I think that's why this process, and especially um, guided by, um, you know, Gantz, uh, Marshall Gantz kind of approach, uh, is very. It's totally compatible with the definition of leadership, and also with the involvement that LF has in the Commons. Yep. And uh, and you know, overarching that. Um, the concept of uh, you know doing what we can uh, to to turn cities yeah. from from battlegrounds to playgrounds. Yeah, yeah. You know, in fact, I uh, 
when I think about both the definition of leadership, uh, you know, that we have from Terry and then Gantz's way of, of telling his story, you know, probably the, the biblical example that seems most uh, evident of that is, is the Mark II story. And you've got, you know, that, that wonderful moment where uh, there's a paralyzed guy, um, you know, he's on this mat. Uh, these four friends decide that, you know, you're probably not wild about being paralyzed. And we hear there's this miracle worker by the yeah. name of Jesus, and he's in town, and, you know, we want to get over there and, and kind of just see if something can happen. And the story's got a lot of comical, you know, I think parts to it, Rick, yeah. and I'm sure you've used it quite a bit. But it's instructive that... Um, you know, they decide, you know, to pick up the guy's mat and get over to the house. Of course, they get there and they discover that the house is crowded. There's no room for them to get the mat up to Jesus. And so, uh, you know, kind of undeterred, uh, they decide that they're going to go up on the roof. Um, as a little side, I, when, when we get to heaven, I would love to talk to this guy. I imagine that there <laughs> might have been a part of him that said, look, enough is enough. I mean, the notion yeah. now of, of having to get up on the roof. You think about the coordination that had to be, you know, at play for them to do that. Um, and then, you know, I've told the story that if you've, of course, seen architecture in the Middle East, I mean, the roofs are flat. Yeah. Um, and so when they get up there, you know, now all of a sudden they probably aren't quite exactly sure where Jesus is. And so they probably had to begin to dig not just one hole, but multiple holes to find finally the place that, uh, that Jesus was. Of course, they go on, they lower the mat down. And the, what I describe as maybe the most powerful verse in the entire Bible, for me at least, uh, takes place. It says that as the guy gets lowered down before Jesus, um, what you anticipate the story doing is that he would look at the guy's faith and heal him. But in fact, what Jesus does is he looks back up at the hole in the roof and sees the friend's faith yeah. and heals the guy. Yeah. Well, I think that captures right this whole idea i mean it was uh this you know particular story that became a a story a, yep. a we go uh and now they they got something done it was also i think a a leadership great demonstration of a leadership right that uh, had the courage uh to you know call forth authentic action in the mm -hmm. commons and so that that story is to me, kind of weaves it all together. Yeah, uh, so yeah, really that is a, that is a fantastic story. Yeah, my dad used to say about that story that uh, um, you know people that are immobilized, uh, we don't need their permission to do the right thing mm -hmm. because he had, he drew mm -hmm. out of that story the fact that you know these four guys, like you said, are they're calling the shots. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, and is there, this guy like he might have been protesting, but they're like, yeah. Yeah, we got you, you know, and uh, yeah, 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 and, and you know, and as, as it relates to that, I mean, I think your dad's comment is right, and, and there's a lot of cities, you know, in many ways that you could argue are paralyzed yeah. at some levels, uh, whether it's their economy, whether it's the education system, and so I often give this little stump speech to local leadership foundations that part of your job is to gather these friends, right, to create an us, mm -hmm. whereby you can lower your city uh, down before, you know, the feet of Jesus. Yeah. And the city can actually get healed regardless of the city's response. Exactly, so, yeah. Not not even by invitation or, or yeah, yeah. Or, uh, yeah, or implication. Yeah, that's great. Well, so if I got this right, um, we're going to be taking a tour of cities in the LF network, which means we'll be going from 
Dallas to Delhi, and you know, mm-hmm. like you know, you you have those good alliterations. Whenever we talk, you know, what is it? What's, what's <laughs> Ma- your other Maputo one? Maputo to Minneapolis. That's right, Minneapolis to Maputo. Yeah, you know, Pretoria and, to Philadelphia. Aha! And because we're on the World Wide Web right now, I mean, we are actually globally engaged from uh, Olala to uh, you know. Orlando. Okinawa. <laughs> okay. So what, uh, we're, we're happy to, to be able to look forward to this, and uh, we're going to then reflect on these questions um, from different LF network leaders, uh, men and women, and we're going to ask them their stories, our stories, and the story of now, and uh, we'll be mining these heroic stories uh, through this next series of podcasts. Did I get that right? You got it perfectly, Rick. I look forward to it. And uh, just as a little teaser, uh, who do we have up for our very first uh, heroic story? Yeah, we, we're going to have the privilege of being able to interview Jonathan Hayden. Uh, Jonathan is the Director of Operations for the Colangelo Carpenter Innovation Center. Uh, he has been working with us now since we, we uh, took over mm-hmm. the center here for the last uh, year and a half, almost two years. I think that uh, if you did a quick survey of, of the LF staff and said, um, who is your favorite person on the LF Global staff. I think we'd be hard pushed if Jonathan didn't win uh, outright. Uh, He's just been a a wonderful soul and uh, it's been very fun to watch him uh, take the leadership and begin to shape uh, what the Colangelo Carpenter Innovation Center is doing on behalf of the LF Network and actually the uh, the spiritual and social space of cities around the world. Yeah, so. great. Well, we look forward to that being our very first episode. Yep. So make sure you join us for that. And again, if you have any comments, you can uh, send us an email at info at leadershipfoundations.org. And until next time, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Rick. Thank you.